Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour podcast. We are a podcast that discusses work and life as full-time SLPs, and today we have a really fun how-to episode for you, and I can't wait. How to get started with transgender voice. I'm Sari. I'm Sarah, and today we are talking with Tina Babajanians, and she is online as the voice stylist, and she has an active social media presence and some great videos on YouTube. First up, in case you are new here, I'm Sari, like I said, and I work full-time in the schools. I've never had a transgender voice client, and it's something I'd love to know more about, so I'm really looking forward to today's interview. I'm Sarah, an SLP of 12 years. I own a private practice where I work, and then I do some school contract work and telepractice. And my focus is on apraxia, phonology, and birth to five autism. And I do a little transgender voice. It's an area I would like to get better at. So I've been attending online conferences. I went to some great ASHA sessions on transgender voice. And of course, Tina has been a huge resource for me. So we wanted to share her with you all. And I think everyone listening in is going to learn a lot, myself included. So now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get on to the show. So we've got Tina on the line and we are so looking forward to chatting more. Tina, how are you and are you ready for this? I'm good and I'm so ready. (laughs) Okay, first up, tell us about the work you do, why it's important to you and where people can find you online. Um, So I have a private practice in the area of gender-affirming voice therapy. Um, It's the journey to figuring out why it's important to me has is kind of a long one, but I I can say that what I've learned is that everybody deserves to have a voice and everyone deserves to be able to speak their truth in an authentic way. And when people can't do that, they feel silenced. And I think as as a society... We, we are losing precious minds um, to this silence. And that's, that's really why this work is so important to me. Um, so, yeah. And how did you get connected with this work? And what keeps you doing this work? And why is this important to you? I got into this work as a young clinician um, just because I really wanted to start a private practice. And I was always really into voice therapy. And I I found this little niche, you know, just uh, uh, called transgender voice therapy at the time. This was several years ago. Um, And I started kind of doing it just really quietly on the side. Um, But I didn't feel super um, like I didn't have the skills to really help this community because there's such a huge counseling component to it. And so I kind of started to shy away from it. And then I went through a series of my own, you know, just life experiences, not at all related to, you know, the transgender community, but it kind of landed me in some therapy and counseling of my own. And I remember being in the midst of talking to my therapist about I don't know, probably some boy who broke my heart. And then suddenly having this random aha moment of, oh, this is how you listen to people and affirm people and counsel people. And it sort of oddly reinvigorated me to go back to exploring this idea of being a clinician for, you know, the transgender community. And uh, it was a two years ago that I left my per diem position at a local hospital and really just dove in and 
you know, my, my second aha moment was when I, I was able to actually kind of take what I had learned in my counseling, in my own counseling sessions. And my mother also went through an MFT program and English is her third language. And so I was always proofreading her papers and referring to her text. So I kind of have this little side knowledge of, you know, what counseling entails. And I was able to apply those skills on top of being, you know, just a competent voice therapist um, and and having, you know, the feedback from clients just telling me, you know, I I never thought I'd get to this point. And that was really what made me realize, like, it's so important to give people a voice. And that's what keeps me excited about doing this. I think when I'm just reflecting on on what you're saying, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of themes. And one is that what can just cause so much stress and what can really break down communication is this idea that you are not allowed to fully be yourself and express your preferences and desires. And that by working on like you're saying, this two-pronged approach of there is a counseling aspect, there is a voice aspect, uh, clients can move forward feeling like they can use their authentic voice and really show the rest of the world more of who they truly are and to truly use their voice to express their desires, which is why we got into this game in the first place, right? Is to help people um, use their voice to say what they want and, and feel like they are truly themselves. Yeah, I would definitely agree. This idea of you are heard and you are seen and you are known unlocks a human to then just be themselves. And in the midst of being themselves, there are so many people that I've worked with that I've, I've learned so much about them and they are smart and creative and compassionate. And I would hate for us as, again, a society to lose that just because someone is feeling um, like they can't be heard. You know, that's not fair to them or to us. It's it's just like, it's just like all the people we serve in our field. We want to open them up so that they can give us all of themselves and that we can know them and, you know, I think that's what our work is all about, right? Absolutely. You're giving me like chills just as you're talking. Your job just sounds like the ultimate rewarding SLP job to help people find their authentic voice. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I've definitely cried on more than one occasion. (laughs) (laughs) So Tina, we have some specific treatment questions for you. But first up, we have a lightning round of questions to get to know you a little better. Some of them are a little silly and some are a little more, you know, just to get to know you and just answer with the first thing that pops into your head. Are you up for that? I'm up for it. Okay. First one is what was the first concert you ever attended? The first concert I ever attended was uh, Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what phone app is your first go-to in the waiting room? <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Me too. Guilty. Me three. How many different settings have you worked in as an SLP? 
I've worked in the schools, hospital, SNF, private practice, home health. Wow. You hit almost all of them. <laughs> if you weren't an SLP, what would your dream job be? Probably a Pilates instructor. <laughs> yes. I have my, my secret one is a yoga instructor. That's great. <laughs> you guys could start a exercise gym. A joint studio. Mm-hmm. What show on Netflix have you binge watched embarrassingly fast? Breaking Bad. Yes. <laughs> that is a rough show to get through, girl. It's rough. It's good, but it's rough. Um, okay, so what was what is your favorite thing and least favorite thing about where you live? And for our listeners, she lives in California. And I forgot the city. I'm in Newport Beach. So the best thing is that I'm beachfront. So that's amazing in the mornings. The worst is the 4th of July when we have to plan in advance to park our cars and not leave the peninsula because there are so many people here that you just, you're kind of locked in. (laughs) And last but not least, are you working on any projects right now that you'd like to share with our listeners? I am very passionately working on bringing transgender and non-binary voice therapy into the schools because I believe the youth is going to need our support very, very Mm, soon in that setting. And so... As we transition back into therapy and what therapy looks like, um, we wanted to start with asking you about vocal exercises. I know that like Stumple's warm-ups are really popular. So will you walk us through some vocal warm-ups you might do in a session and explain them to us? And then maybe we can do them as a practice client and model them. But I will say we both have colds, so (laughs) we're probably going to have some voice breaks. So bear with us. Okay, so yeah, so I do use the vocal function exercises as a warm-up. Um, I have, over the last two years, started kind of modifying it to make a little bit more sense for the client. So I don't do them in the very traditional sense. Um, so if you want, I can definitely just quickly run you through what I do with my clients. Yeah, let's give it a go. So the first thing I do is I have an app that I use that uh, it's called Pitch. Um, And it used to be that it didn't cost any money, but now they have a subscription uh, offer that they make people sign up for and then they charge. So I have to find a new app for my clients, but I guess I'm grandfathered in. So basically, and is it okay if I actually play the note? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I do is I do, I start on um, F4. I find that that's been a pretty accessible range, but just any note in the fourth octave um, range, I start the client with the note that they're able to find. So for instance, let's, let's see if you guys can hit F4. So here's the note. Can you hear that? Yeah. Okay. So you want us to sing it? Well, we find that note, and once we feel like we're in the range of the note and the app gives visual feedback, mm-hmm. then you know we take a couple deep breaths, and then we just find the note, and, and you hold it for as long as you can, as softly as you can, and keeping that note really steady. So if you want to go ahead and try it, go ahead and take a deep breath. Find that note. Just like that. So as you know, in the 
the vocal function exercises are prescribed as doing it two times to warm up. Okay. So then it goes into the pitch glides. And this is where I really start to deviate a little bit. I do the pitch glides on an M sound, the N sound on the knoll, which is what the, what Stemple writes out. And then I also have them do it on the Z sound and the Z sound. So we do several pitch glides up and then we'll do them down and then I'll have them go up and down. So, okay. So we so can do that or we can just do one set of pitch glides. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's just do one for our, our podcast listeners. Those are the ones that are typically prescribed, which is the null without the L. So it's the no. Okay. You ready? Do you want to? Let's just one of us do it, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> I have a cold voice. So I don't know how high I'll be able to go, but I'll try it. Okay. No. There you go. And when I do this with my clients, usually wherever voice they are they come to me with what I consider that their baseline voice. And then I tell them, let's take that as your lowest feminine range. Um, if they're working on voice feminization, unless for some reason they're in a situation where they're still kind of code switching between a feminine or masculine voice. Then I ask them, do you want to train both ends of your range? Do you need your masculine voice? Um, so I try to keep it very fluid and I modify it to really fit the client's needs. Okay. And before we move on, just because I do the very traditional, like, no, no, right? So you're doing them on the M sound and the N sound and the J and the S? The Z sound. The Z sound. Okay. Can you give me an example? Okay, so the, I'll go through them really quick. I won't do them like really extended, but it's basically okay. the first one. First one. Mm, mm, so that's the M. And then we do it on the N. So, mm, and then the Z and the Z, I do that because I feel that that starts to train that forward resonance, but more oral versus nasal. So, and it's a little more restricted, but I just, a lot of this is just playfulness too in these exercises to see what is going to give the client that access point to their most vibrant, forward focused feminine voice. Does that make sense? Yes. And how often would you do these exercises with a client in a session and when in the session and then at home, should they be doing them and how often? So I start every session with this. We spend maybe five to 10 minutes on it. Um, and then when we're done doing them as a warm up, I'll be taking notes the whole time of like, what note were they really successful on? And sometimes we use that note to like start speaking off of. Um, I talk about with my clients, let's try and train the extreme because once we get into conversational speech, the voice ebbs and flows, right? Depending on your circumstance, situation, who you're talking to, you're going to be high, you're going to be low, your inflection is going to change. Um, so I do them every session. And then as we get towards the end of our sessions, I actually have the client lead us um, in the warm up. And then for them, I, I tell them do it once in the morning when you wake up and once in the evening before you go to bed as a warm up to your day and a cool down to your day. 
just really gentle. And, you know, I also just ask them to take notes and let me know, like, what notes are you struggling on? Or where are you finding a lot of success? It's a great way to track progress because it's concrete enough. Mm -hmm. And how are you measuring it? I have them take notes. And then when I do it with them, I've got this app out. And then I'm looking at, are they hitting the note? Are they not hitting the note? I'm looking at how long they can sustain the note. So, because a lot of people, they'll start. Most people are not trained. They don't have a trained ear. I don't, I'm not a singer, you know, I'm, I'm a voice therapist, but I'm not a singer. But I can find these notes really well now because I've been doing it for so long. But I'll be looking and sometimes we'll do the voice uh, vocal function exercises for the first time and the client can't get F4. So I drop them down to, to C4. Sometimes they can't do that. We go down to the third octave. So I write, okay, they were successful on B3. So you're going to train B3 for your warm up, but you're also going to aim this week to get up to C4. And then so the next week when we meet, I'm like, okay, show me your B, you know, make the B3 note for me. Now let's see, are you at, can you do C4? Have you been working that? And then we try to move them into D4 and we try to move up the, the notes. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have as far as education and cultural competency? Because I know that, you know, as SLPs, we want to be as affirming as possible. But if we're starting to practice in a new area, we may need some education on that piece. So I would say the first thing is get the voice and communication therapy for the transgender and gender nonconforming client book. That's the one by Adler, Hirsch, and Mordaunt. That's a great place to start because they have a piece in there about cultural competency. The other thing is reaching out to your local LGBTQ center, um, or even a local MFT or counselor, because a lot of them are starting to offer trans and non-binary cultural competency training uh, for professionals that want to get into working with this community. So if you feel like you need more than just reading material, which you can also find a lot on the Human Rights Campaign and GLAAD on their websites, they're constantly updating. It's very user-friendly, layman's terms of like, Here's the terminology we're using. Here's what we're not using. If you meet someone, you get their name and their, and their pronouns, and then you respect them. Um, so that's a great starting point is reading about it on human rights campaign and glad get the voice and communication therapy for the transgender client book. Um, and then reaching out to your local LGBTQ center is another great way to get involved and get some live training if you feel like you need that. And some clients may have had a series of negative experiences in the medical setting. Can you speak a little bit to that? I have not. The only time a client has actually shared about a negative experience was actually with another speech therapist. And She described it as being negative because when they hit that stall point where, you know, my client expressed that she just felt like she wasn't making progress, the therapist's response was, well, we can't change your your anatomy. Like, we can't change the biological structure of your larynx. And that really seemed to devastate my client. Mm -hmm. And it was actually very – it was a wake-up call for me 
because I've always been very positive and affirming in my sessions, but I realized how important it is to just stop and listen to your client when they're telling you, I, I can't figure this out, or I'm really frustrated and I'm not getting the sound I want. I'm often replying with something like, I am going to do what I can to figure out a way to help you. And even if that means letting them know, I'm going to present this question in a forum. Are you okay with that? Obviously with no identifying information, but I let them know that I do reach out to uh, colleagues online and that I go to the text and I do the research. And just even that sometimes removes the mental block for them. Um, so that's actually the only experience that's been shared with me um, about a negative medical experience, but I have read online stories of people and on Twitter. I don't know if, if y'all are on Twitter, but, uh, if you go to hashtag trans Twitter, there's a whole community on there. And if you follow their stories, you realize one that everybody is so vastly different. Um, and that everyone has such a different experience, but I do recall seeing a story on there where, um, somebody went for hormone replacement therapy and they were bombarded with such inappropriate questions and that they left and ended up having to just go online and order hormones from, you know, some source on the internet. Those are the kind of things that people are experiencing out there. Does that answer your question? I, I feel like I went a little off topic. <laughs> no, I think it t totally answers my question. All right. Next question. Um, when it comes to transgender voice, a lot of what's on the internet is about voice feminization, not voice masculinization. So can you explain um, why that is and more about that? So most people, but not everyone, when they begin to transition, they seek out hormone replacement therapy. And most, but not all, who are transitioning uh, from being assigned female at birth to male, they um, start testosterone and testosterone has a huge impact on the voice. And over time, it will drop the voice without any other efforts. Um, that's obviously not the case 100% of the time, but most of the time the hormones are enough to change the voice and to masculinize it. But it's not the case for someone who is transitioning to female, um, they'll take estrogen, it will have no effect on the voice. So that's why you see more people seeking out voice feminization versus voice masculinization. I will say that I did have someone contact me once who was a singer and lost his range on the high end because of the testosterone. And he was actually really devastated about it and was saying that this is something that they've started to notice amongst him and his group of friends who were all kind of performers and singers um, that they were losing some of their range. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I don't, you know, I gave some advice for, you know, seeking out therapy for from someone who's actually more trained for singers and maybe following up with an ENT just to make sure that the health of the, you know, the voice was there and that it wasn't anything, you know, besides just the hormones. But that's usually the case and why people seek out the feminization versus masculinization. Mm -hmm. So digging into therapy in the very first questions, what are questions you would want to make sure to ask a client on during that first session to get information to move forward? And why would you choose those questions? 
So in my very first session, which is usually the assessment, I think the most important question that I ask is, do you have a support system in place? Who are they and how do you access them? The reason why I think this is so important is because when I start to actually dive into doing the work of therapy, I think there's a moment for my clients where they realize just how hard and effortful this actually is. Um, And having that support system in place, I think is so crucial. And it also, and and the other thing is too, like kind of checking for their readiness and um, willingness to do the exercises that they're given to put themselves out there slowly, not immediately, but you know, just the willingness to do the work and to put yourself out there and start that generalization process from the very beginning. Um, So that's, that's really, I think the most important thing is to kind of probe where the client is at. Um, so Tina, once you actually begin the voice work, what are some areas that you work on for the first first few sessions? So the first thing I like to work on is resonance, because I feel like resonance is one of those things where you can take resonance and apply it almost immediately. And it's not going to be this dramatic shift in the voice, but it gives the client something to do the next day after your first session. And it's going to help them voice better. Their voice is going to be more vibrant, more clear, more robust. And it's going to eventually be one of the things that changes the voice. Um, So I start with resonance. And from resonance, once they've got that going, at least at like the short phrase level, I start to weave in more pitch work. Um, And then from pitch, I start to do intonation and, you know, feminine articulation patterns, some body language. I also like to incorporate a lot of um, breath work from the very, very beginning as well, just to teach them how to voice properly. And how long do you usually see clients for? And do they ever need to come back for like refresher sessions with you? When I consult with a client, I tell them that I like to see them for at least 10 to 12 sessions because around session six is where things sort of start to click and you start to really hear the change. And then there's that, you know, generalization and and kind of solidifying like, okay, this is your new baseline. And then once they're at that point, I tell them like, okay, I'm not going to see you for a month. And then we come back for a complimentary one month follow-up to make sure that they're still making progress on their own. Um, And then I ask them like, how can I support you? Like, do you want to see me once a month? Do you want to check in once every three months? You just want to let me know if you need me. Um, I found that that's been pretty good. And I think it also builds a sense of confidence and independence in the client that they're actually the ones making the change. You know, I don't like to tether clients to me because really once they've got the skills and they hear the change, it changes their self-confidence and they know what to do now. And once in a while, they'll send me a voice, you know, sample or they'll send me an email and a question and I respond and try to get them going in the right direction. And then if we need to, we meet up, you know. If there's an SLP who's listening, who wants to build up their knowledge in this area, what are some resources? Where would you send them uh, to look for more information? Um, Again, I love the voice and communication therapy for the transgender client by Adler and Hirsch. 
Um, that's a great place to start. Uh, I know there's a lot of webinars and I have one coming out too with Northern Speech Services that kind of go over the general way to approach uh, voice therapy for the, you know, for gender affirming voice therapy. Um, there's just more and more CEU courses coming out. I have a, um, I have a clinician's guide on my website and it's about 200 pages of content. And it, I wrote it out to be very like, hold your hand through the process of do this, do this. And then all throughout this, this ebook, I've just constantly written, like as the clinician, once you get to know your client, you're going to be tweaking and making changes because a cookie cutter approach does not work for this or any therapy. Let's be really honest. But um, especially for this kind of therapy, um, you're really going off what the client is giving you and jumping in and trying it with a client and then going in and being honest of like, I need your feedback. I need to know what you feel like is working. Is it relevant? Is it meaningful? Do you like what you're hearing? Do you not? Why? Uh, I think my clients have been my greatest teachers, honestly. And before we go, we end our interviews with a self-care challenge. And this is something easy and actionable that can help listeners be healthier, happier, find more time or have more fun. Do you have a self-care challenge for us? Okay, so a couple of years ago, I discovered this thing called an acupressure mat. It's basically, um, it's a mat and it's got these, it's got hundreds of these tiny plastic, I'm, I'm calling them needles, but they're not needles. They don't pierce your skin. But basically you lay on it either with a shirt on when you first start. And as you get more brave, you can go top, you know, skin on the, on the pressure points. Um, and it's really good for lymphatic drainage, but once you lay on it, it's kind of painful. It's uncomfortable. But when you give it a little bit of time and you get into your deep breathing, you start to feel this sense of calm and relaxation. And it's really good for circulation, relaxation, lymphatic drainage. And I do it before I go to bed and I sleep really well. I've gotten one of these masks for like every member of my family and they all love it. So I know as SLPs, we're always stressed. And I just think this is a better way to kind of unwind than some of the other things that we tend to do. So it's something out there that's a little bit different. Um, I enjoy it. I found it to be beneficial. And uh, yeah, I'm all about anything that improves my sleep. <laughs> and this is one of them. I have never heard of an acupressure mat. I've never heard of it. D does it help with back pain? <laughs> um, it does a little bit, I think because of the circulation component. So anytime like my partner has like a cramped muscle, I'm like, go lay on the mat <laughs> and then he'll just fall asleep on it for like 40 minutes. I'm like, it's probably not good for your skin for 40 minutes. <laughs> and you know, like it feels great. So. All right, you guys check out an acupressure mat. And with that self-care challenge, we will link to the mat that Tina shared in the show notes. And this episode is coming to an end. Tina, it was wonderful to chat with you today. And just one more time, where can our listeners find you to learn more? Um, you can go to my website, thevoicestylist.com. And on all social media handles, it's at thevoicestylist. Mm -hmm. 
All right. And I learned so much on this episode. I'm starting to realize that I, I think because I'm not confident in this area, I'm sort of like taking charge and taking the lead more than I should. And I love your just check-in questions. Like, what do you think is working for you? That's one thing I'm going to implement like right away. It's like, what do you think is working for you? Um, and asking for more client input. So, um, and I think I just don't do it because I feel like not confident. (laughs) So I feel like I should have the answers. So I'm going to switch that up. I've learned a lot. I hope that if you're listening, you've learned a lot. So do you know an SLP or an SLP student who's working on learning more about transgender voice? If so, share this episode with them so they can learn right along with us. As always, if you want to connect with us, you can visit our website, slphappyhour.com, or find us on Instagram as slphappyhour. We hope you enjoyed the show and that this was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. We've enjoyed recording it. Thank you for listening. Until next time.